human history. It is the long, terrible story of humanity trying to find something other than God to make him happy. That's a quote from C.S. Lewis. I want to change it a little bit and say human history is this long and terrible story of humanity trying to find its purpose in something other than God's purpose for his life. And because of it, humanity keeps stumbling upon this unhappiness, this joylessness, this misery that's haunting us like a shadow lurking behind us. When we run from God's purpose in our life, we're running from happiness. Let me say it this way. When you aim at joy and happiness and peace, it slips through your fingers like trying to grasp oil. But if you will aim at God's purpose in your life, you will find yourself unexpectedly living a life filled with joy and peace and happiness. It doesn't mean his purpose for your life is easy, but it means it's good and it means it will produce joy and peace and flourishing for you. We're in our series called Jonah. It's a tale of compassion, death, and resurrection. And we've got a lot to learn from Jonah because Jonah's like this archetype for what it means to be human. And the very first thing that Jonah does is he hears God's purpose for his life and he takes off running in the exact opposite direction that God has called him to. And the reason that Jonah's doing this is because he thinks God is holding out on him. That he's not going to give him the joy and peace that he's seeking after. And what it does is by Jonah running, it takes him all the way down to the bottom of the sea. He's swallowed up by death. He's swallowed up by this sea monster fish down there at the bottom. But then look at what God does. God seeks him at the bottom when he's hit rock bottom, and he catapults him back onto dry land. Why? So that he will go back and fulfill the purpose that God has destined him for. Those who make the greatest impact in this world are those who have hit rock bottom. And God has catapulted them back up to dry land into the purpose that they are made for. And today, here's what we're going to find out. Grace begets grace. Meaning, if you find grace, you will birth grace into your life and into the world around you and into the people around you. And life begets life, resurrection life. When you find it, it produces more life around you. And repentance, when you turn back to God, it's going to return repentance all around you as you're catapulted back onto dry land. And so again, those who have hit rock bottom are the ones who change the world. And look, look, it's not because they're chasing after changing the world. That's not the point. The point is that they are being faithful to the purpose that God has called them to. And if that's a huge purpose or a small purpose, it doesn't matter. It's the perfect purpose for that person. They're just being faithful. That's what we're going to learn to do from Jonah today. We're in Jonah 1. We're going to read the same verses that we read last week. And the reason is because we, we, it's packed with meaning. So we're going to look at a bigger picture so Jonah 1, 17, you can take open your Bibles and, or swipe open or it'll be on the screen, but this is God's word coming to you here. So listen closely, look closely as I read. 
And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over my life to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed over me forever. Yet, you brought up my life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, you remembered the Lord. I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay, because salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. First point, purpose. Jonah's purpose, God's purpose for Jonah was for him to go to Nineveh. And Jonah thought that God was sending him into something that would make Jonah unhappy, that would make him miserable. So Jonah forms this plan in his mind where he is going to run from what God's calling him to because he doesn't want to fall into misery. And what we see happen is Jonah runs right straight into misery. He runs there into the bottom of the depths of the ocean. And when it says he's at the root of the mountain, this is another way of saying he has fallen all the way down to the foundations of the earth, the bottom of the sea. Jonah thought he knew what would make him happy and give him peace. And it led to his misery. He was dead wrong. And like all of us, we're like Jonah. We want to be happy. We want peace. I mean, if you ask somebody what they want, most in life, they're going to likely tell you, I just want to be happy. And if they have kids, they're going to say, and I just want my kids to be happy. Jonah thinks he knows what's going to make him happy, and it leads to a prison of distress. And so the question is, the question you have to think about is what makes you think you know what's going to make you happy? God has given Jonah a purpose. And Jonah, like us, he thinks that God's holding out on him. Now, this is something that plagues humanity. Adam and Eve in the garden. They thought God would be holding out on them, and so they take and eat from the fruit. Abraham. God says, here's your purpose, Abraham. Go and do it. And Abraham says to God, yeah, but God, how do I know you're going to keep this promise to me? Humanity. For whatever reason, we can't seem to trust that God has our best interest in mind. It's in our nature. For some strange reason, we keep doing this. So we run from him thinking he's holding out on us. And by doing that, we're running straight to the bottom of the ocean. Like, God knows what you are made for. Because he designed you. I like to read a lot of psychology. And statistics within this field will say very often that if 
you are a thankful person. If you find reasons to be thankful, you're going to have more joy in your life. And if you could be someone that forgives others, you're going to happen to have more joy in your life. And it's like, look at what we're doing. We have God's word here. And, and we don't really trust God. And so we need these statistics to prove that the Bible is true versus just believing it's true because we know that God has our best interest in mind. So we rely on things that are said like this. And if we would just realize that the Bible is an ancient wisdom that rings true today, we would start following it and we'd likely have more joy and peace in our life. But we're a bit stubborn. And even though, I mean, come on, let's, let's really be honest. Even though the Bible rings true over and over again, you don't really want to follow it because you want to be free. And that's one of the greatest mistakes you can make in your endeavor to find freedom. Because the unhidden secret that's in the Bible is that God has this beautiful story that's written out for you and with him. And that, that story will make you run right into the freedom of joy and peace. So what's God's purpose for you in finding this joy and peace? It's the same as Jonah's. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh and to seek the good of Nineveh. And so the question becomes, what's your Nineveh? And, and it's not actually that difficult to find. You, you just go all the way back to the beginning. Humanity is in Eden. And God tells humanity to cultivate, meaning to take everything that's in Eden and make it cover all the earth. And instead, we do the opposite of what he desires us to do. And then Eden is lost. And so now God's purpose for our life is to take Eden and rebuild it here. It's what we read in our call to worship this morning. Your purpose. Rebuild Eden wherever God takes you. Now, a lot of you don't know what to do with your life. You don't know the specific purpose that God has for you. And here's, and here's a bit of the problem here, because you're so focused in on finding the specific purpose for your life that you're neglecting the greater purpose, the bigger purpose, the overarching purpose. And so what it means is now you're chasing after a purpose, but you're not chasing after God's purpose for your life. You're not trying to build Eden. And if you'll just start seeking to build Eden, it's going to become very clear the specific purpose God has for you. But you've got to start with a heart that is seeking the kingdom of God and then... Well, all these things are added to you. Those, well, and you got to hit rock bottom first before you start knowing any of this. And a lot of you don't think you've hit rock bottom, but God thinks all of you have. And you're like, David, stop being so mean to me. Those who are most ready to change are those who know that they've hit rock bottom. And I'm not telling you to go mess up your life so you hit rock bottom and then you find God. What I'm saying is you're already there. And what I mean by that is if you would just look at the life that God has designed for you, the life of heaven, and compare it to the life that you have now and the life that you're living, you're going to say, I'm at rock bottom. And that, that is not said to bring you shame or guilt. 
it is said to make you realize there's only one way to go up, one way to go from here, and it is up. So you reach out for God. So this is where we come to this realization that at the bottom, the very first thing that you find is grace. And there at the bottom, finding grace, it begets more grace. Second point, grace begets grace. We're like Jonah, and we have run from God. Admit it, and that's a great start. Now look at what, when you realize that, look at what happens. So there's a play on words in Jonah. Every time Jonah runs from God, it describes him as going down. He went down to Joppa. He went down to the ships. He went down into the ships. He went down into the ocean, down into the belly of the fish, and down to Tarshish. He's running, and every time he runs, it leads down. And once at the bottom, there's these beautiful verses. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And then there's this verse about the cords of God's redemptive love pulling us up out. And so what it means is it's like God's going fishing for us there at the bottom of the ocean. And we're rejecting his redemptive love and his redemption. And here's why. It's a lot of us wanting to do things on our own. And as we want to do things on our own, we keep seeing this grace that is offered. But what's happening is you're imprisoned to these idols in your life that have ensnared you. And it's making you not want grace. It's making you reject it. So let's, let's talk a little bit about what grace is. Grace is coming to the realization that you, you are at the bottom. And there is nothing that you can do to save yourself from the bottom depths of the sea. And so what are you going to do? With all humility, you're going to cry out to God to rescue you, knowing that you can't do it on your own. When it says that, well, okay. When it says, when it says that Jesus gave his life for you, that doesn't just mean that he died for you. It means he lived for you. And what, what is happening when Jesus comes and he lives this perfect life, he's taking all of the righteousness that's within him, and he's showing it in this world, and then he's taking his showing of righteousness in this world, and he's placing it upon you, and he's crediting it to you, and you're clothed in it. And so let me ask you this question. What do you think God feels about you right now? What does he feel about you? Because I know what you're doing right now. You're lining up all your sins. And you're saying, God, you must not approve of me. You must not think highly of me because of this. And do you know that someone who has found grace, do you know what they're doing? They're not lining up their sins. They're lining up the perfect righteousness of Christ. Every time he obeyed this father, it's like another check in your credit. If you have faith in him, that is what's given to you. This perfectly beautiful, wonderful life that was lived, this majestic life, this life of royalty, this life of the heavens has been given to you, credited to you. And that means now when the Father looks down upon you, he sees you as if he sees his one and only son. And he treasures you like he treasures his one and only son. And that is a gift and it's not anything that can be earned. And part of our problem, part of Jonah's problem too, we start thinking like God's not going to be gracious to me until I reach like this level of goodness. And then at that point I've earned grace. 
Or like, God knows I've been trying really hard. Like, I'm messing up, but he knows I'm trying hard. So I've, lived, I've reached this level of goodness finally, and now God's going to be gracious to me. And you've got it all wrong. Because grace is not found in the middle. It's not found by trying hard. It's there when you've hit rock bottom, and you know it, and you're aware of it. And there's nothing that you can do but call out to him and say, God, have mercy on me. And he says, gladly. And he rushes down to the bottom. He's not going fishing. He tried that. He takes himself all the way down to the bottom to get you. He knows you. Jonah's there at the bottom, and he discovers God's grace. And then look at what God does. He spits him out. He spits him back out onto dry land. Now, why is, he, why is that in our text? Because he's spitting him out back into his purpose. Because those who know grace are best able to offer it. And that means this. If you want to build Eden... If you want to rebuild it, the way to rebuild it is by offering grace to the world around you. See, Jonah before had this pride, and he thought that he deserved grace more than the Ninevites, like somehow he was worthy of it. Grace is something that you're never worthy of until you know you haven't earned it, and then it's yours. So what I want to suggest is that we go ahead and start admitting that we're much quicker to offer vengeance to the world. We're much quicker to offer judgment to the world. We're much quicker to say what is all wrong with the world. And we're less eager to offer grace because we think we deserve God's love and acceptance more than the people who've wronged us. The degree that you have found grace is the degree that you will begin offering grace to others. You know what that means now? You're offering grace. And that means as you offer grace, you're building Eden. And so now you're living into your purpose. And now as you live into your purpose, you're going to find yourself having more joy and peace. And that means that it is absolutely impossible to find true and everlasting joy and peace without knowing grace first. So what I want to suggest you do is run a little experiment this week. See if that's true. I'm going to tell you right now there are going to be plenty of opportunities for you to offer grace because this world is filled with sin. And there's going to be people in your life, maybe even those closest to you, who are sinning against you. And it is your perfect opportunity to be just like Christ and offer grace radically. And I bet if you do it, it's going to change the relationship that you have with that person who has wronged you. I bet you're going to start getting a little bit more of some glimmers of heaven that is to come. And maybe you won't. Maybe they won't respond well to your grace. That's okay. It doesn't matter. Your job is to do as God calls you to do, which is offer grace. And you will still find yourself experiencing joy and peace if you are offering that grace. So run the experiment. Test it. See if it's true. Grace found at the bottom produces grace at the top. And, and... That is also true with resurrection life. The story is not just about you hitting rock bottom. It's about you finding grace and life at the bottom. And then he lifts you up. Salvation, like, okay, you think of salvation and you think of forgiveness. Salvation is about a past forgiveness, but it's also about a present transformation. Like God has work and he's working on you. 
Like, for, for some reason, Christians have this thing in the beginning where they're so excited about this grace that they found, and they're excited, and they're excited, and then some reason it grows dull. They've missed the beauty of what's happened to them. And if you miss the beauty, you stop transforming. So you've got to figure out why you're missing the beauty. And maybe it's because you don't think you're at bottom again. Because your bottom, like, it, it always changes as you grow. But there's always a new bottom. And so what's found at the bottom? If it's life that's found all the way inside of death. And think about that. Life is found within this spiritual death. If that's true, then joy and peace can be found in any circumstance because resurrection life includes joy and peace. So that means that joy and peace is most found when your circumstances tell you you should not find any joy and peace here. If life is found inside of death, then joy and peace are found when circumstances say there should be none. And now let me tell you this. Those who have been to the bottom and there at the bottom have found this joy and peace, are best able when they reach the top to offer others that same joy and peace. And a lot of you aren't experiencing joy and peace, not just because you aren't finding God there at the bottom, you're trying to maybe earn your way up or whatever it might be, but also it's because you're not offering that joy and peace to others. It's like you found it and you don't want to share it. You got this gift that's meant to be shared with the world and you're just keeping it to yourself. Now, I want, this is about investing in people. So Jonah is spit back up onto dry land for the purpose of going to the people of Nineveh. Everything in life is about people. People, people, people. It's all about people. When, when, when the Bible says the proof that you love God is that you love others, it's saying life is about loving people. A lot of you are trying to measure your success on your, based off of your achievements. Measure, measure your success on the quality of which you're loving the world around you and the people around you. When you have experienced the redemptive cords of God's love pulling you out of the depths, you start loving others by seeking their good. And, and a great place to start is your family. But you can't end with your family. So let me tell you a problem that, that I think happens with families. We look at our kids and we make them our purpose. Like, good job. That's, that's a good thing to do. Like, don't neglect your children. Pour into them. But if you make your purpose serving your children, you are doing your children a discredit because you're not done after you serve them. After you serve them, then you say, now serve the world. Serve the people around you. Too often we create this nice little safe box for our family and then we never call our family to go to Nineveh. Because, look, your family has a purpose and that purpose is to find the Nineveh for your family. So a lot of people tend to think that ministry is something that they do like alone outside of their family. And if you do that, I'm going to tell you what's going to start happening is you're going to be neglecting your family. You're going to be going off to Nineveh, and, and your family's going to be saying, what about me? And the problem why you're leaving them behind is because you haven't properly equipped them to go to Nineveh. So this week, here's what you do. Here's your next, your next little assignment. Call a family meeting and then ask, what is our Nineveh? 
and make a plan. Who are the people that God has put in your life? And then together as a family, love them well. Abraham was blessed to be a blessing to all the earth by this blessing being passed down from his family from generation to generation until Christ is born and then as a blessing to all the nations. So I'm going to throw something out there that's going to maybe ruffle a few feathers. Spend less time protecting your kids from the world and more time equipping them to bring Eden into the world and that will be the best protection you can offer your children. Because the world's coming at them. And if they know how to transform it, at least the world around them, well, then it can't take them. All right, now let, let me make a switch here. If you aren't married, I want to tell you the, a position that you are in. Paul talks about this. If you're not married, you have a field before you of all of the ways that you could bring the kingdom of God and build it. Build Eden. Like, there is a landscape before you. Get to painting. Get to building. And, and let me tell you a temptation that you have if you are single. You are surrounded by a sea of married people. And, and that's hard. And so what you begin to do is you start saying, I, I want that. And you start making your aim and purpose in finding a family. And now, over time, you become desperate in finding a family. And then you're, you're seeking to just find anybody. Because then at least you're not alone. At least you're measuring up to all of your friends. And let me tell you what you have done now. You have created a scenario where you, you will likely pick someone who's not the right person for you. And let me give you another scenario. Take this landscape where you can build the kingdom of God. And then go and start building. And as you go to build the kingdom of God, you're going to meet somebody else that's building the kingdom of God. That's a great person for you. So seek the kingdom first, and then all these things are added to you. Life found at the bottom produces a flourishing life up at the top. But in order to get any of this, this grace, this life, this resurrection life, you have to first discover repentance. This word repentance means turning away and turning towards God. Turn, you're running away from God, you make a turn right back to him. Fourth point, repentance begets repentance. At the bottom of the sea, Jonah turned back to God. He was running and he turned back. Let me tell you what he did. He turned from his pride and he turned to the God of grace and the God of resurrection life who offers grace to sinners. Jonah thought he knew better than God. He thought he knew better than God what would make him happy. What would give him joy? What would give him peace? And it led to his misery. So now he's there at the bottom and he's realizing what he's done and he's turning back to God and he's saying, God, I'm sorry. And when you can do that, when you can be absolutely drained of pride and say, I'm turning back to you, God. Would well, you know what you are now? You are someone who is equipped to call others to do the very same thing. Not in a prideful way, if you're walking around calling people to repentance because, well, you think you've, got, you've earned the, the, this grace, well, you're going to do a horrible job at calling people to repentance. But if your heart has been broken by yourself, but it's been healed by God, well, you know how to call others to be healed by God also. Martin Luther calls the pastor of a church the chief repenter. 
And what he means by that is I better, I better see myself as the worst sinner in this room. But let me tell you about something. There's a, there's a bit of boldness that it takes to be able to look at how deep of the ocean of sin that you have. And that boldness comes with a discovery of grace that is larger than the ocean that you swim in of sin. And that's what Jonah found. So those who have matured in their faith over a long period of time, they see their ocean of sin, but they see a cosmos of grace. And it makes them bold in seeing how sinful they really are. And then there's a joy that's found in that. Because when you find grace, it makes you thankful. And thankful, thankfulness makes you joyful. So if you're bold enough to see your sin, well, you've got to find a God that's bigger than your sin. And you have one in Christ. So repentance will produce more joy in you. And it will allow you to call the world to repentance around you with humility and what that means is what your kids need most from you is for you to be really good at repentance and to be less worried about their repentance and more worried about your own first and then you'll be good at calling them to repentance what your spouse needs most from you is for you to be really good at repentance what your future spouse needs from you is for you to get really good at repentance and you know what I need most from you for you to be really good at repentance. Do you know why? Because there is not one thing that stirs me more to my own repentance outside of the kindness of God than seeing you turn to God. It inspires me. And it's going to inspire the people around you. And so it becomes with it starts with one person. And usually, you know what to be honest with you, like you kind of expect it from me because I'm the pastor. But if you'll start taking an honest look at the grace and your sin at the same time, it's going to lead you to change. And as you're changing, the people that are sitting next to you are going to see you change, and they're going to be in awe of the wonder that God is doing in you, and they're going to say, well, if that can happen for them, that sinner, then it surely can happen for me too. And you'll set off a ripple effect of transformation. But all of this requires you to know that you've hit the rock bottom. Do you know that you've hit it? Because if you do, you're going to start looking around for the God who meets you there. And then you're going to find Christ. He's not fishing for you. He went down. He's just like a scuba diver. He's found you. And he's offering you grace. He's offering you resurrection. And, you know, he offers this all by way of the cross. In fact, it says the cross was the joy that was set before him. Now, look at me. Don't miss this. It says the cross was a joy that was set before him. Christ is the truly obedient one who lived into the purpose that God gave for him. And that purpose was right to the cross. The, the mission, the reason that God is here was to go right up to the cross, to be swallowed up by death and to rise up out of it. But it, look, the cross, it was a joy that was set before him. Now, how in the world can the cross be a joy for him? Well, it's not that the cross was the joy. It's what was on the other side of the cross. Do you know what was on the other side of the cross? It was you. 
He wasn't looking at the cross. He was looking through it. And he saw you on the other side. Don't miss what I'm saying. He saw you. And do you know what that means? Jesus has this line. He says, take up your cross and follow me. Do you know what that means? There is a cross for you. But you don't look at the, the, the pain and the suffering you go through as you carry the cross. You look at what's on the other side of it. And it's a sea of people who need you desperately. So you see them in the sea. And you see all the obstacles that are before you and them. But then you remember the cross that was the joy that was set before him. And you take up your cross. And you go after them. And if you will do that, there is no pain or suffering that won't be swallowed up by joy in peace. That's a strong joy and peace. And it's yours. But you must know that you've hit rock bottom and then you reach for it. Let me pray. God, you say that thankfulness produces joy and so we come to you in thanks knowing that you saw us at the bottom of the sea, not as people who deserve grace, but as people who are asking for it. And you gave it to us, God, freely. And we thank you for that. We praise you for that. For you be the glory for all of that. God, stop us from being people who are neglecting the grace that you have offered us. Because in doing that, we're sacrificing the life that you've offered us. And we don't want to do that anymore, God. So cure us of this human, human thing within us that doesn't think you have our best in mind. And help us look at you in light of the cross and say, if you did that for us, you must always have our best in mind. Help us to reach for you as you've reached for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.